You're listening to the podcast from Withington Christian Church. For more information, visit withingtonchristian.church. So we turn again then to uh, Matthew and chapter 5. And uh, this week we're going to look at one of the the other Beatitudes, another Beatitude. It's the seventh of the Beatitudes and it's found in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So let's just read the passage together again. Um, verse five, chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we just give thanks, don't we, for such a wonderful passage of scripture that we can read together this Sermon on the Mount that the Lord Jesus Uh, gives to his followers, to his disciples, and it's so relevant for us today. These are the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes that show the workings of God in the life of humanity, that show the evidence that we are the children of the living God, that show that we are saved if we are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of God, We are those who recognise our frailty, our inability, who recognise our need of God because we don't have it within. We are those who look to Christ and trust him entirely and completely for all that we need in him. We are those who are mourning over our own sinfulness, our own frailty, our own failure. And yet we're comforted because of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We're comforted because we know there's coming a day when we're going to be with the Lord Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, uh, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We are those who are people who are meek. We're not assertive, we're not vindictive. We are those who are broken, who are frail, who are looking to Christ, who are gentle and humble, who are meek and mild and kind. These are the attitudes that mark out the people in whom God is at work and the Holy Spirit is changing and moulding, sanctifying. Um, the merciful are those who show mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, those who are genuine, those who are honest, those who have an authentic Christianity which isn't a pretense but is real and genuine and those who desire to be pure. Those who have a longing in their heart to live their life in such a way as to honour God and to please God. The pure in heart want to do, want to follow the ways of the Lord. They want to be obedient. 
You know, I was thinking in the week about this um, and thinking about Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. And you know, Romans chapter 5, Paul outlines the amazing wonder of grace. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now that's an amazing thing, isn't it? (laughs) That says to us that there's no sin too deep that we can commit that grace can't reach down to and rescue us and save us and lift us up. And yet, you know, Paul, that incredible mind that God had given him to understand the truth of the gospel, he recognised through the Holy Spirit that there would be those who would say, well, if grace is such a wonderful thing, if grace can reach down and restore the worst sinner, then surely we can continue to sin so that grace may abound. Is that right? And Paul writes Romans chapter 6 to address that very issue. Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, he's saying this, he answers that question by saying this a thousand times no. For if we were to have that mindset that we could continue in sin and live as we like because of the amazing and abounding grace of God, then we haven't understood all that Christ has suffered on our behalf in our place to redeem us and to save us. Would we want to add to his suffering if we loved him? And so Paul addresses this issue that we shouldn't continue in sin because of grace. But that what is in our hearts is a desire to live his way for his glory, to be pure, to be obedient to him, and yet in our lives we struggle with this. We desire to do that which is right. We desire to please him. And yet we trip up at times. We make mistakes. And if we do that, we know that there is forgiveness for the Lord. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know we need to be careful of cheap grace. Cheap grace. That would Some people perceive that they can live as they like, they can sin as they like, because grace has abounded. And we need to be careful against that type of teaching because that is out there. No, when God saved us, he intends us to be pure. He intends us to strive through the indwelling Holy Spirit, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to become more and more righteous practically so that as I look at my life today and I compare it to how I've been maybe year, last year or the year before, I see progress. That that bad temper that I struggle with, which I so quickly fall into, that that is improving, that that, that is changing, that I'm becoming more patient, that I'm becoming more like the Lord Jesus. And that that desire of my heart for idolatry, for false gods, for things that aren't his, that coveting that takes place in my life, that I'm mastering that as I look to Christ and the Holy Spirit works in me and I'm trusting Christ 
to bring about the reality, the truth of his work in my heart. And so we understand that that is also what it is to be pure in heart, to strive for a life that pleases God, to seek to obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And now we move on to this uh, second, uh, this uh, seventh um, beatitude. Blessed, happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Interesting, isn't it then? We read this the other way around. The sons of God are peacemakers. <laughs> and when we think about the sons of God, of course, it, it embraces the women as well. And the idea is that we have a position as those who are adopted into the family of God, as those who are heirs to God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus. We're sons of God. And as the sons of God, what is our mission on earth? What is the responsibility for the sons of God on earth? It's this, that we should be peacemakers. Whichever situation you find yourself in, whatever your circumstances, wherever you are, we should be the ones who are bringing the peace. And we'll think about that, and we'll think about what that means, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Well, this idea of peace is an idea that dominates the Bible. The Bible opens with peace in the garden, and the Bible closes with peace in eternity. When God created the world, there was peace. There was peace between the man, and there was peace between the, with the woman. And then there was peace between the man and the woman and God. That was good. <laughs> I suspect we live in a day and age where there's not, sometimes not a lot of peace between the man and the woman in the home. And we see that reflected in the statistics of our society where 50% of marriages break up. <laughs> no peace. And we live in a world where the majority of people are not at peace with God. And yet the world didn't start like that. We'll think about what's gone wrong. The world started with peace between man and his wife, the husband and the wife and God. There was peace. And the great thing is, is we know there's coming a day when peace will reign again. It will reign on earth as we know it now. That uh, uh, millennial reign of Christ will be marked by peace. War will end. You know, there is more conflict in the world today than there's ever been at any other time. That's frightening, isn't it? But there's coming a day when Christ reigns, when all war will come to an end. There'll be no war. He'll finish it. To remember that the scriptures teach us that during that time, uh, that the, um, I can't remember the actual words now, but the instruments of war will be converted into instruments of farming. And so war will come to an end. So the world will start, has a day of peace that's coming when the Lord Jesus is on the throne. He's reigning. A thousand years of peace here on planet Earth. What a joy that will be. And so the Bible is all about peace. It starts with it and it ends with it. Um, and in fact, you could ch cut the chart the course of history based on the theme of peace. There was peace on Earth in the garden. But then man sinned and peace was interrupted. And then at the cross, peace became a reality again. As the Lord Jesus died in our place, he brought peace. 
We're going to think about that. The blood of his cross has made peace. We can be at peace with God this morning because of what Christ has done. What a joy that is. And someday in the future, he will come again. And when he comes again, his title will be the Prince of Peace. I love that title. The Lord Jesus as the Prince of Peace. He will establish a kingdom of of peace, which will finally go into an eternal age of peace. What a joy that is. We have a peaceful future. And it's all because of the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I remember a few years ago uh, watching a programme about a choir that was being trained up. um, And uh, I think it was a choir of military wives and they sang a song. And the song that they sang, and I'm not decrying what they did, I think it was a good thing that they were doing, but they ascribed the title of the Prince of Peace to those who were out fighting uh, their husbands, in essence, who were soldiers who were out in conflict, they ascribed that title to them. But you know, really, man in his fallen state is not a peacemaker. They don't bring peace. They bring war. There's only one Prince of Peace, and that is the Lord Jesus. He alone has that title. He alone lives up to that, will live up to that, has lived up to that. And so we give him praise, we give him glory as the Prince of Peace. Well, what about the God of Peace? Well, the Bible um, refers to peace over 400 times. God is tremendously concerned with peace. It is one of his great themes. And in fact, he himself calls himself the God of Peace. Romans 15, 33. May the God of Peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 16 verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Philippians 4 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. And so our God is a God of peace. And you may well say, well, if God is a God of peace, why is there no peace? On earth, because there isn't. Well, there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is not God's fault. But the reason for that is there's no peace on earth because of two things. First of all, it's the opposition of Satan. And then secondly, it's the disobedience of men. Those are the two things. Those are the two reasons why there is no peace on earth today. An enemy, Satan, who seeks to destroy the peace that God created the world with and the disobedience of men that refuse to acknowledge God as a supreme ruler over all things. So it's the fall of angels and the fall of men that are the cause of a world without peace. And only those two things. For God is a God of peace. 
It isn't that God doesn't want peace. It's that man and Satan are at war with God. There's the problem. Satan destroying the good that God has done, seeking to destroy his good work. We see that in the world today, don't we? We see continually that Satan is overturning the good that God has created and built into his world in the kingdom of men. He destroys those principles, those laws by which society has been built and has grown up and in that rebellion... Does it bring peace? No, it doesn't. It brings conflict. It brings war. It brings problems. You know, you can only have peace with someone as long as they want it. Because it's a two-way thing. And as long as they will have no peace, there will be no peace. Man holds his fist up to God and says, I will not have you reign over me. I am my own God. I will do my own thing. I will go my own way. And so we continually see rebellion against God and the principles of God that is laid down in his work. And therein is the reason why there's no peace in the world today because of Satan and because of man. But how we give thanks for a prince of peace who has conquered Satan and Satan is defeated. He was defeated at the cross. And because of that, we know that we ourselves this morning can have peace with God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. So what is the peace? So peace is not just stopping the war. Peace is creating the righteousness that brings the two parties together in love. Let me just say that again. Peace is not just stopping the war. Peace is creating the righteousness that brings the two parties together in love. It is our lack of righteousness that means we have no peace with God. Why are we at enmity with God? Why are we against God? It's because of our lack of righteousness. It's our, our lack of righteousness, our sinfulness that separates us from God. When a Jew uses the word shalom, which of course means peace, it's the word that they have in Hebrew for peace, he doesn't mean, may you have no wars, may you have no conflict, but he means this, I desire for you all the righteousness that God can give. All the goodness that God can give. That's what shalom means. God's highest good for you. It's a creative force for good. And the only basis upon which we can have peace with God is on the basis of a creative good, which is the righteousness of Christ. That's the only basis we can have peace with God. Um, so we are to be peacemakers. We do not only stop the war, we replace it with the righteousness of God. We replace it with all the goodness of God. Peacemakers are those who not only call a truce, but a real peace where all is forgotten and they embrace one another. It is an aggressive good. Peace is not creating a vacuum. Peace is not creating the absence of something. 
but the presence of something. The peace of the Bible does not evade issues. It never evades issues. The peace of the Bible is not peace at any price. It isn't a gloss over. It isn't a let's pretend there isn't a problem. Let's just ignore that. Let's just place that to one side. Let's just bury that out of sight. Is that peace? (laughs) Well, that sort of peace isn't peace. Because it it will erupt again. It will erupt again. And the peace we've seen in the Middle East recently will erupt again. Because the issue hasn't been dealt with. The matter hasn't been dealt with. It's just been pushed to one side. Um, And thinking of Israel, thinking of uh, Palestine. And uh, of course, true peace only comes when the issue is dealt with properly, when it's brought out in the open and it's dealt with in a correct way. The peace of the Bible then conquers the problem. You see the difference. It conquers the problem in the middle ground so that two can come together. It gets to the issue. It builds a bridge between two sides. Sometimes it means a struggle. Sometimes it means pain. Sometimes it means anguish. Sometimes it means a little more strife. In the end, real peace can come. So here's a couple. And they have an underlying issue. And that issue is creating friction and a problem and a difficulty. And they can place that issue to one side and pretend it doesn't exist and try to coexist in that way, but it keeps re-emerging, it keeps coming up again and again. Well, what does genuine peace, what does biblical peace do? It gets the issue out in the open. And it starts to deal with the root problem, the root cause. And that may cause a problem. That may cause pain. That may bring difficulty for a time, for a short time. But that's the basis upon which that true peace can come is when that issue is resolved. And it's the same with us and God, isn't it? There's an issue between us and God. And that is that we've broken his law, that we are sinners, that we've fallen short of his holy standard. And we can pretend the issue doesn't exist. We can live religiously and go through a set of rules and regulations and pretend all is well. But it won't be until we've addressed and faced up to the real issue. And that is that we are sinners, that we've broken the law of God. And you know we've been thinking about that, haven't we? That poverty of spirit, that mourning. And that's a hurtful process. That's a difficult process. I was speaking to a man on Friday who came to see me. He was at the mill some years ago now and he was brought up in a Christian home. And uh, his father was a Christian um, and um, he, um, he, he had uh, a bad experience uh, in his home life. His father was a, 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 a disciplinarian uh, for whatever reason and I think he felt the effect of that. Um, and yet he heard the gospel. And he, he came to us back some years ago now, back at the mill, and he heard the gospel again. Um, and uh, he said to me, actually, I'm thinking that I'm remembering this as I'm speaking. 
Uh, he said to me, oh, you remind me of my dad. I probably wasn't very complimentary that, to be honest. Um, but uh, nonetheless, he heard the gospel again. A few weeks back, he rang me up after probably about maybe seven or eight years. He rang me up and he said, Wes, my life's a mess. Things are going badly wrong. I, I need to come and talk to you. And so he's been coming along. Uh, he's been two weeks now. Uh, and it, it, I can see he's a man in anguish. He's a man really troubled, troubled by his past. And he's told me things recently, which he never told me the last time because he was hiding them away. And he was keeping them out of sight. And some of the things he's telling me about now are the root of his problem and, and he's bringing them out in the open. And do you see God at work? And yet God is at work in his struggle and in his pain and in his difficulty and his sorrow. And that's how God's peace comes about. When we get the issue out in the open, we expose it, we deal with it. Well, we can't deal with it. Only Christ who can deal with it. It's only Christ who can forgive that man. It's only Christ who can deal with the root problem of his sin and bring him peace. Because he has that assurance that through faith in Christ his sins have been dealt with once and for all. And so we've got to get the issue out to deal with it. Peace never hides it away. It builds bridges between two sides. And sometimes it's a struggle, sometimes it's a pain, sometimes it means anguish. Sometimes relationships go through difficult times when they're confronting honest things, honestly confronting issues that need to be exposed, that need to be dealt with, need to come out in the open. And then that's the basis upon which peace can be made. Well, Christ is our supreme example as the peacemaker, of course. And the Lord Jesus comes to earth as the Prince of Peace. But he comes to earth as the one who is a peacemaker. Where did he make peace? He made peace for us at the cross. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's the single most important thing that any human being can do is to make sure you're at peace with God. If you were to think about the priorities in your life, if you were to draw up a list of the priorities for the rest of your life, what is your plan for the rest of your life? At the top of that list, above anything and everything else, is to be at peace with God, to make your peace with God. And that's ahead of anything and everything else. It's ahead of education. It's ahead of marriage. It's ahead of a job. It's ahead of absolutely everything else. The single most important issue in your life is to know that you are at peace with God, that your sins are forgiven and that you're trusting Christ for salvation, for rescue. Because if you miss that, then you might as well never have had an education. You might as well never have had a great job or whatever. It all pales into insignificance in comparison to this one thing, to know you're at peace with God. Have you trusted him? Do you know him as your Lord and Saviour? Therein is the key, key thing. And he came that we might be justified by faith. He did the work. He's provided the basis upon which peace can be made. He is the peacemaker. 
We haven't contributed to this. We are the offending party. God is the party that has been offended. We are the party that's offended him. And Christ comes as the mediator to bring the two sides together. And it cost him dearly. It was a deep pain and a deep sorrow. It cost him everything to bring about this peace between man and God. Colossians 1, 19, 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He shed his blood on that cross that he might make peace with us. And through the work that he's done on the cross, he has given us his righteousness. Remember, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Therefore, we are fitted for the presence of God. Therefore, we are, are at peace with God because of the work that Christ has done, because of the shed blood of Christ that forgives us for all our sins and fits us for a relationship with for peace with God. And so the Lord Jesus, he is the ultimate peacemaker. And that uh, peacemaker, he made his peace at the cross. He brought us to a point of reconciliation through his blood shed at the cross. The cross did something about our sin. It didn't sweep it under the carpet. That's an important point, you know. I remember some years ago talking to a religious person. He was devout in his religion. And I said to him, how does your deity, we know of course he didn't have a deity, he didn't have a God because there's only one true God and that's the God of creation. And I said to him, how does this figure, this deity that you believe in deal with your sin? And he said to me this, he said, well, he's God, he can do what he likes with it. If he chooses to ignore it, he can ignore it. <laughs> Doesn't sound right, that, does it? Sweep it under the carpet, pretend it never happened. It sounds a bit corrupt to me. Does the God of the heaven deal with that? Does the God of the Bible deal with sin that way? No, he doesn't. He brings it out in the open. He exposes it, exposes us to it. We see it for what it is and we come as those who are broken and repentant, seeking his forgiveness and seeking his cleansing. And we can have it because Christ bore the penalty for our sin there at the cross. He gave his life to make peace between us and God. Well, what about the Holy Spirit in this respect? The Holy Spirit brings peace to us. It's that work of the Holy Spirit in us that makes us peacemakers. We can't do that in our own strength. It's a supernatural thing. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit, he gives us peace. John 14, 26, 27. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. And so the Holy Spirit is the peace giver. He gives us peace. 
And we know, of course, that fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit at work, sanctifying us, changing us, moulding us, the evidence of that is seen in peace. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, and there's the key, we need to live by the Spirit. We need to live in the power of the Spirit. It's a Romans 8 experience, not a Romans 7 experience. It's a Romans 8 experience where we're living in the good of the Holy Spirit, trusting him, looking to him, him empowering us. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so, as Christ has made peace for us, so through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are to be peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? in your workplace, in your home, in your situation. I'm going to stop there um, because uh, there's a bit more to say uh, and it's a new new section. So I'm just going to stop at that point and next week, God willing, we will look at what it is to be a peacemaker. Those who have had peace made for us through the work of Christ have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us and he is making us to be peacemakers. What does that look like? in my everyday life. So let's just close with a word of prayer. Father, we give thanks for your word again and we give thanks, O God, for the great work that Christ did at the cross to provide the means for our redemption, for our salvation, for forgiveness. We thank you, Father, that you have made peace through the blood of your cross, through the Lord Jesus Christ dying there for us in our place as our substitute. And Lord, we come this morning just to uh, ask that we may allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and that the evidence of that will be that we are those who are peacemakers, not bringing division and confusion, but bringing peace in a right way, in a godly way. So Lord, we ask for your help as we move into a new week to live our lives according to your pattern and your plan for your glory. So, Lord, we do just remember Paul again and we're thinking about this week, we're thinking about this operation and we ask, Lord, you'd undertake for him in every way and for Margaret and the whole family, Lord, that they will know your peace uh, as the Holy Spirit indwells them and brings comfort to them that they will just know what it is to experience the overwhelming peace of God in their hearts and their minds. And so, Lord, we do just remember others who need our prayers at this time. Uh, again, Lord, we bring to mind Edna in her need and the circumstances of her life at this time. Lord, draw near, minister to her soul, we pray. Uh, undertake for her, we pray. And any others, Lord, who uh, are a link with us here, Lord, that you'd meet their need. We, we just think of those who, who have ill health, those who have health issues in, in this church. Lord, that you'd meet them in their need. Lord, lay your healing hand on them. Thank you that you are a God who heals Uh, And that we pray for that, uh, for those in our congregation that may know your healing and your help in these days. We do just pray. And so we ask these things for the glory and honour of our lovely Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we give thanks for him. Amen.
You've been listening to the podcast from Withington Christian Church. For more information, go to withingtonchristian.church.